This is the EricSwanRacing.com podcast. I like to just jump right into it. Um, cool. It's, it's not live, so anything can be edited out if you wish afterwards. Um, and so my quick pep talk is like, just be yourself, um, <laughs> swear, have an unpopular opinion or popular, you know, talk about whatever you want. We can touch on your energy drink. Um, that's one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on here. It's because, uh, you know, I like to talk to motorcycle racers, people in the industry, but also people who run businesses, friends and family, like, uh, the stage is yours. Don't feel like you're talking too much or rambling. That's the whole point is to dive deep yeah, into yeah, some yeah. of these things. So <laughs> the biggest thing is it's not an interview style. It's a podcast conversation. So, um, just try not to answer with like one word answers and it flows pretty good. Cool. Yeah, man. So I think I'll be good with that. Yeah. <laughs> as long as we find topics that we both kind of know about, I think we'll be good. For sure. So uh, it's Eric Swan Racing.com podcast. I think number 122 now with Jack Limangeli. Did I say that right? Perfect. Perfect. All right. So you're over in uh, New York now? Yeah, I live in Brooklyn. Grew up in New Jersey. Went to school in New York. So kind of been in this area the, my whole life. All right. I think I've only been to New York just for a connecting flight and then didn't leave the airport. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the airports here kind of suck. They, they've actually like, they've really improved in the last 10 years, but still like, it's not a good representation of the city. Sure. I get that. And so uh, you have a, an energy drink company uh, called Good To Go Energy. And uh, tell me a little bit about that. How did it get started? Where are you at now? How long have you been doing it? Yeah, I mean, I started it with my best friend. He's in the Marine Corps. I'm the National Guard, right? It's part of the Army. And we both left for our initial training pretty much at the exact same time. Uh, and when you're there, you know, you don't get any caffeine. You spend time in the field. And we kind of both came to the same conclusion that it'd be really great to have a way to bring caffeine into the field. You know, when you're out there, you could be out there for two days. You could be out there for two weeks. And most of the time, you only have what you can carry right so if you have a rucksack you can't really fit an energy drink in there now you might be able to fit one right so if you're going out for like a hike for two hours who cares yeah right but if you are going for 14 days right you can't fit 14 energy drinks right they take up too much space they're heavy and you know god forbid one of those explodes it's a disaster right so what we came up with is the idea to put it in a essentially like a large crystal light right so it's powder um, you know, I don't ever pretend that like, this is a revolutionary idea. I, there's other products like this. I think what's cool though, is that none of them are specifically marketed at the military. So it's a little bit of like bias for us approach, right? Like we, we feel like we really understand our market. And, um, like I said, all the packaging, you know, it's like traditional army green, you know, very simple, subdued, um, We've got two flavors right now. We've got Italian ice, which is kind of like a light citrus. I always, I always compare it to like the old little like cupped Italian ices that you get at like, like a town pool when you're like, you know, 10 or 11. Yeah. And then just like a, a standard blue raspberry. Okay. And then what's actually really interesting is if you mix the two, you get like a third flavor that tastes <laughs> like a rocket pop. There you so go. Like, it's almost like we created another flavor without having to do any work. <laughs> nice. And so, uh, yeah. Um, you just mix it in water, like eight ounces or 16 ounces of water. Yeah, I think uh, we have written on here mixed with 12 ounces of water, um, but it's 
like one of the cool things is you can kind of control how strong the flavor is, right? So if you if you mix it with 12 and you're like, wow, this is way too sweet for me, just use 16. Or if you're like, man, I just, you know, I'm a sugar addict. Like I need that punch of sweetness, you know, use less water. Sure. And uh, is it uh, is it sugary? Is it uh, sugar-free? Do you use sweeteners? Like what, what about the, the sugar side of it? Yeah, so we definitely, you know, one thing to be very clear on is we don't pretend like it's healthy. Right. It's it is an energy drink. There is zero sugar. Right. There are artificial sweeteners. Um, so it's zero calories, which I think is something a lot of people care about when they're picking an energy drink. But like. What's the. Uh, what's the there's there's some energy drink that live fit is all over their their packaging. They have pictures of real fruits and stuff like that. Like we are not trying to trick our audience. And like <laughs> I said, we feel like we know our audience. Yeah. Being the military, you know, guys who care more about their caffeine content rather than you know the health of it so is it going to kill you absolutely not is it going to harm your health absolutely not is it going to improve your health no yeah like, <laughs> you know what i mean yeah right um and then what about the caffeine content is it pretty high or is it kind of middle road so that's another thing that, I, that we kind of took a different approach to what most drinks are doing right now if you look at bangs, you know, there's 300 milligrams of caffeine. Like that's, that's excessive. Like, yeah. Right. It's four or five cups of coffee. Like you just don't need that. So ours is a hundred, um, 75 of which is a standard caffeine, like fast acting, you know, it's just standard, like you consume it. It gives you that jolt. The other 25 milligrams is a delayed release. It's just bonded to some, like some kind of acid that takes your stomach longer to, to digest. Hmm. So it slowly hits you over like 30 to 40 minutes so one of the cool things is that it it kind of it smooths out the crash of caffeine um but we also like that because it's only 100 milligrams like you can you can drink two at once you know you can you can make one and sip on it throughout the day and make another one you know you, you can't drink two bangs back to back right your right. stomach's just gonna be <laughs> churning so and and also like uh, i guess a little side thing about the caffeine content one of the big concerns that a lot of command structures in the military have with energy drinks is their connection to heat casualties, right? People heat catting because they are dehydrated. While I think there's a lot of like conflicting evidence with caffeine's effect on your hydration, because you have to mix our drink with 12 ounces of water, you're always consuming more liquid than you would with the same amount of caffeine in an energy drink, right? So like a bang is like 16 ounces for 300 milligrams of caffeine. If you want to consume 300 milligrams of our caffeine, you've got to consume 36 ounces of water. Okay. That makes sense. Right. So you're always, it, it, while the drink doesn't hydrate you, it forces you to use enough water that you aren't dehydrating yourself. Yeah, I gotcha. So, um, how'd you, um, make the decision to go with like a powder versus like maybe a mint or something like that. Cause I've been uh, a while back, maybe a year or two ago, I bought a whole pack of like energy mints and uh, I'm still working on those or maybe 55 milligrams a piece, but um, yeah. just a different, um, different way to consume it. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, it, there's really like two, there's two reasons, right? Number one is practicality. If you're talking about a mint, I guess anytime, anytime you produce a product like this, there's a few options, right? You can like buy all the machinery and you can mix it all yourself. Uh, that takes a lot of money. It takes a lot of expertise. 
that we didn't have. In the, the drink and really like consumables industry in general, there's these things called co-packers where you basically go to them, you say, here's my exact specifications for my product. Um, I need you guys to use your expertise and your equipment to source the ingredients and to package for me. There's a lot of companies that do that for liquids and powders, right? So it was, it was a lot easier to go down that route. Um, so that's kind of the first answer. And then the second answer is that you're thinking about our target audience again, those guys going out to the field, they're very used to products that look just like this, that are um, hydration salts, right? So those things have all kinds of electrolytes, sodium, uh, potassium, things like that. So we were kind of just trying to redirect a behavior that already exists for our target, target audience into our product. Sure. There's probably way more people who drink energy drinks than have caffeine mints, right? Yeah. And you see those things all the time, like the caffeine gums and at least anecdotally, like I don't see those in my friend group ever catching up. I, I, I try them too, just because like, I feel like I should be up on the market, but yeah. like they just never seem to stick around. Sure. For me, it's like, uh, I'm just getting through the latest packs that I have purchased, you know, rather yeah, than buying yeah, something yeah. new, but I don't think <laughs> yeah. I'll buy any more of them. Um, one of the things I didn't like about it is one of their main ingredients is, is, uh, um, is it aspartame, which is like a, a laxative. Is that right? Yeah. So I'm like, why so, am I taking yeah. a laxative? Like I don't need a laxative. Yeah. We don't have any, any aspartame and there are, um, oh man, I'm trying to think the main, there are a lot of sugar replacements that do exactly what you're saying. They cause the muscles like around your colon to spasm and essentially act like a laxative. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is not ideal. Which is great. Yeah. 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 Um, and so uh, what does it sell for? Where can you buy it? Um, you got buy it in packs or singles? So right now it's a dollar. Um, technically it's like a dollar 25, but we give service members a, 20% discount. So our goal is always to sell to them for a dollar, right? We save a lot of money on shipping because it, again, it's such a lightweight product or we're not moving cans. So it doesn't take up a lot of space and it's not heavy. Mm -hmm. So we try to pass that, that on to the consumer. Again, you know, we're, it's, this is like a buy, a buy us for us product. We're not trying to like screw over our peers. Yeah. Um, so we sell right now just on our website good to go energy drink.com. And again, because we're such a small operation, like we don't have intermediary packaging, right? Like you can just, if you order 10 of these, you're just getting 10 individually packaged. You know, there's no box yet. Those are all plans for down the road, but like with just the two of us and not really knowing exactly what we're doing, it's, <laughs> uh, you know, there's like a long list of ideas and that's on there, but we just haven't gotten to it. And uh, how long have you been doing this now for the, the energy drink company? So the official like launch, I guess, was October or September, somewhere around there. We had the product in July. Of 21? Was, no, 22. 22. Okay. And then it the like initial idea for the product was December 2019. And then the, the real, like what I view as the start date was March. Oh, I'm sorry. It was... December 2020 and then the real start in my mind is like March 2021. I got so you. you know we're like a year and a half deep and there were 
could we have done it a lot faster if we knew what we were doing? Absolutely. There was a lot of learning along the way. Um, but, you know, this, one of the most beautiful things about this is that there's no, there's no outside money in it, right? There's no loans from banks. There's no investors. So there's nobody telling us to hurry up and sell. It's just us. And we are taking our time and trying to be as delivered as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I'm sure it, it took a while for you to come up with the idea and the courage and the balls to actually launch it. So it's probably uh, months or years in the making before that even uh, took place. Oh, yeah. I mean, that first time I like, you know, I've never spent money like this before. You know, like it's, it, this is like that first time I hit, you know, submit on like a large credit card payment. I was like, geez, this is uh, <laughs> it's a lot. This is the feeling I, yeah, I haven't felt before. Um, yeah, it's good doing it with no, no investment or anything like that. Sometimes they, doing that can put you on the back foot and now you owe all these investors tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars and you don't know if it's going to work out or not. Um, so it's, that could be stressful. Um, there's so many things that, that there's so many reasons I don't want people involved. And like, you nailed it, right? Like you owe so many money and then even just little things like, you know, did I set up my LLC correctly? As far as I can see, yes. You know, I used whatever that website is everybody uses, uh, LegalZoom. Oh, yeah. But, like, if I've got investors who know a lot more about it and they're, you know, scrutinizing it, it's just, like, another set of eyes are going to find issues. And, like, it's almost easier to just to keep things in-house and not have people scrutinize all the, the little details. Right. I hear that. Um, and if if you were, hypothetically, to go on, like, Shark Tank, what would they say about this? Oh, dude, I've already got the whole script. Oh, yeah? I, I just I just sat in my room one day. I don't know. Maybe this was like two months ago. Had a few too many beers just by myself and was watching Shark Tank nonstop. And I <laughs> yeah. was like, I'm going to write our script. Um, I don't remember all of it right now, but it would involve me for sure walking in in full face paint, full uniform, rucksack, you know. Camo. Yeah, oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, give them a good pitch about like, Hey, here's an energy drink in a can. Try to put this in my full rucksack right now. What's gonna happen when I when I you know ruck flop back and you know just explodes everywhere? And then you know give them give them some of these and have them put them in there. But um, I have thought about what their what their like response would be. I think that their biggest concern would be competition because there is no intellectual property. It's, it's literally just a brand that I would own. Um, but at the same time, you know, there is definitely, I don't think you can ever underestimate like the power of marketing to a community that you're a part of. I think a lot of people want to support you when you do that. So I think that that would be the angle that we lean heavily to any, to really any future investor, whether it's Shark Tank or like, you know, just some, some venture capitalists. Yeah, I mean, you're going up against some major players with, uh, you know, Formula One budgets and in the case of Red Bull and like yeah. Monster Energy <laughs> and all those, you know, all the other ones, Rockstar and, and, and Bang, like you were saying. But, um, but there's always, I think, a place for other people and like you're maybe filling a market need that, that hasn't been done yet. But they could say, well, what if Red Bull just comes out with a camo energy drink flavor, right? Yeah, 100%. I, I... It's a challenge that I'm not a, I'm not sure we are like equipped to solve just yet, um, which I think is kind of why we. There's almost there's almost like sometimes things are cool when you know when they're not big, 
and right yeah. they're, when they're when they're still part of small little niche communities and that's almost like the approach we're trying to take where we want to be you know the military is huge there's so many jobs in the military not everybody goes out to the field not everybody would need this product one of the things that'd be really cool is that if we are beloved by just that small community of, inf of infantry men you know in the in the army and in the marine corps who actually go out in the field and like do the dirty work right so that would be a way that i think we could differentiate ourselves and really focus on even you take that big military community and make it even smaller and say, all right, Red Bull, if you want to come in, like you might get all those other military folks, but we still have our small tight knit community. The original core group of people. Yeah, exactly. All right. And so, um, so you said you had the website and what's the website called? It's good to go. Energy And, are you and on... I think I've they're all it's all spelled out all words no numbers nothing like that all right and uh are you on other social media i think i found you from instagram yeah 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 so same thing good to go energy drink um i always say that we are not a very well-run brand so the instagram is very much i it's me posting things that i think my friends would find funny yeah that's all right you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. you got the instagram facebook are you on youtube there's a YouTube account. We haven't posted anything to it yet. We just don't really have the, uh, we don't have the content for it. Yeah. So yeah, we just locked down the name, you know, to make sure that once we want to start pushing stuff out there, we can, uh, we can do that. Sure. And, um, Twitter only fans, uh, anything like that. You know, it's funny. It's so definitely not, definitely not Twitter. Uh, I was never a Twitter user. Now there was my friend who's doing this. So we just, we honestly don't even know how to use it, but, uh, you know, you mentioned only fans, like, the porn industry really aligns with our target <laughs> audience. So like we have, we have not gone down that road yet, but it's not to say it won't be in the future. Yeah. I mean, uh, I've, I know athletes who have their own pages, so it's not only, you know, porn, but um, could be just people who are looking to build an audience in a different way. Yeah. I honestly just don't even know much about the site. Um, but, you know, you think about that, the core age group of males, 18 to 35, like that's kind of the, target audience yeah definitely those are maybe the biggest consumers of those sites so and are you actually taking out any ads or doing advertising in any way like uh paid or otherwise we're, we're just literally this past week and into next week starting to meet with different marketing firms and different things like that to uh to, to actually pay for it there's our the first one that we just secured is it's called my base guide so whenever you when you're in the military, like you can, you can be uprooted pretty quickly, right? Move from one base to another, all within the United States. Um, so my base guide essentially helps you kind of like reestablish your life when you move from one to another. Like, let's say you move from California to Fort Bragg, North Carolina, you got to find new doctors, right? You got to find like a new place to get your haircut, a new gym, maybe a new mechanic, right? Like all these things. And their website lets you just from a drop down, select Fort Bragg, you know, barbershop. So where we are in that is Fort Bragg, um, like gym and fitness, right? So if you do that combination, you'll see us on that. Okay. So that's our first paid advertising. Well, hopefully it works out, but uh, yeah, it was at you least a nice, a nice check the box to say that we're, we're actually doing something more than just posting silly Instagram <laughs> videos. Yeah. And, uh, 
are there any aspirations to uh, get your product in in stores, brick and mortar, like Seven Eleven or or like grocery stores, things like that? So, on military bases, there's these exchanges they call it. It's it's like it's literally just like a like a Walmart. Like that's it's like a Walmart plus military uniforms. Like that's the best way to describe it. Okay. Um, we would love for that to be the only source for brick and mortar or at least the first one. Um, but we almost need to establish ourselves more before going to them and saying, hey, we can tell you that people who shop here want our product. You should put our product in your store. Yeah, I hear that. You have to have some reputation and feedback and reviews before a bigger place is going to want to take you on, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I honestly like don't even... I've thought a lot about it, but I don't know what that process really looks like. You know, yeah. it's, uh, it's for sure a challenge. And, you know, I compared them to Walmart. They're obviously not as big as Walmart, but they are a massive chain, right? They're on every single base. So it's not as simple as just like talking to the owner and being like, hey, can you just toss this on your front counter and see if people want it, you know? Yeah, and uh, I hear that you have to pay for a certain shelf space at different places. Like if you're, if you want the best possible thing, it's going to cost yeah. more money to get that in the store than if it's on the bottom shelf in the, in the back row 14, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's all these things. Like I just, I don't have the answers because right, <laughs> I've never done this before. One of the things we're actually thinking about is where does this sit? Right. Because you need to, because you, you kind of nailed it, right? If it sits on a shelf, the only people going to buy it are people who are going into the store for it, right? Nobody's going to go stumble across it and be like, oh, what is this? Let me take it. I think what would be really cool is building a little box similar to like the size of this, putting suction cups on the back and putting it on the inside door or the outside door of the like fridge section of energy drinks. Right? Okay. So somebody already going for a drink can say, oh, what is this? You know, what is this brand new product? Let me just grab it. Let me try it along with whatever drink I was going to buy originally. Because it doesn't need to be refrigerated, but having it right in front of those drinks might um, might associate it with the, the same kind of thing. Right. And I, I'm sure I will be, if we could do this, we would be violating some contract with the drinks who are in the fridge. But, you know, if you're on the, if you're on the door, right, you are, you're basically using space that nobody's already using. So there could be some event, some incentive for the store to utilize that space. Yeah. So, nobody's paying for yeah, it now. Yeah. So it could be uh, yeah, exactly. on the table or yeah, on the door, yeah, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, maybe, maybe it'll be like on the bottom of the door, like the very top and, you know, maybe not like dead center, but anywhere would be cool. Eye level, hand level. That's what I would love. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't know if we have that kind of money yet. Yeah. And then if you get a, if you say you got um, Target or, you know, whoever at Walmart to say, yes, okay, we'll do it. Do you have the capacity to pump out 400,000 packets right now? No, definitely not. <laughs> well, it's, it's but if you answer, got, no. if you, but if you got the, that order, then you could maybe go to a bank and say, Hey, look, we have the order. Now we need the funding yeah, to get you it. it. Right. Yeah, you nailed it. it. It's, it's truly like, it's, it's, it's an order of operation thing, right? Where you've got to have one thing secured to then go back and get the funding. Um, but like I, like I was mentioning earlier, those, those co-packers, they can handle this kind of stuff very, very quickly. So that's one of the beautiful things about not having our own equipment producing it, right? You can go to these other people that have capacity and have the sizes for this 
and they literally quite literally just need the list of ingredients the amounts of each and a check and then they can go do it yeah so then they can scale up pretty quick it sounds like yeah 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 they definitely can you know the, the co-packer we used this first time um specializes in in small business and i would i think we were pro probably like the smallest that they would be willing to do we made a thousand a hundred thousand units um the only thing is that we sourced our own ingredients and then shipped it to them, which was a big mistake. It just took way too much time. Mm -hmm. So I think we, if, should we be in a position to need a lot of units very quickly, we would just go to a one-stop shop and let them literally do everything. Yeah. Cause they could probably get even better prices than, than you might be able to with having established relationships already with other suppliers. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the, the whole, you know, I've learned so much about the industries. Um, you know, our combination of ingredients is very unique and it's, we are, that is our intellectual property, right? Like nobody can copy that. We could sue anybody who copied it. Um, but the actual way you get to that combination of ingredients is by combining active ingredients like caffeine, beta alanine, taurine, things like that, sweeteners and then flavors that you buy from flavor houses, hmm. right? So these flavor houses will just have like a generic blue raspberry or a generic light citrus. Um, and then from combining those with your unique combination of sweeteners and other ingredients, you get to a unique flavor. So okay. it's almost like other companies could have the same starting flavors and, and even the same ingredients, but use them in different amounts and produce a totally different flavor. Yeah. So if somebody were to try to copy yours exactly, how would you even go about like knowing uh, knowing about it? If they're a similar size company as you, you have to like scour the market and find all these different, you know, look at the, all the ingredient labels and everything. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, th that's one of the, that's one of the difficult things, right? Because you don't need to, because these are not FDA like approved products, right? The whole supplement industry is not FDA approved. Because of that, you can put these products out by just, um, you know, you list the active ingredients, again, caffeine, beta alanine, taurine, um, and then you say the rest is like a, um, I forget the exact term, but it's like a proprietary blend, mm -hmm. right? So you don't need to reveal exactly what's in it. And even if you reveal what's in it, you don't have to reveal the amounts. Okay. So it'd be kind of hard for so, them to exactly copy. Yeah. And you, but you know, it's funny though. So we, we paid a... The way we, I wasn't just mixing random fucking powders and, you know, coming up with a, with a flavor. We paid a company in Chicago to, to actually, to, to come up with the formula, right? So I told them what we wanted, what the active ingredients we wanted were, what kind of the, the calorie content, like all these different parameters. And then they did all the blending, would send me, hmm. you know, three samples that were kind of similar. I'd pick my favorite one, we'd use that as a base, three more. You know, and they kind of like branched down this tree of flavors until we got one that we wanted. And but the reason I bring that up is because the re the way we developed the white one, which is the Italian ice and, and my favorite, is we started by trying to replicate the white monster because I think that that is the best energy drink ever made. Yeah. So wh while we didn't copy or even replicate it perfectly, um, that was the inspiration for the flavor. It's similar. It's similar in that it's similar in that it's a light citrus. But it's, I wouldn't tell you that it tastes like it. It's in the same category, but like 
just like any blue raspberry might taste like another blue raspberry, but it's not at all the same. Yeah. It's like, why try to reinvent the wheel if you know something that already tastes good, right? Right. And, it, it, you know, in the back of our minds, it was like, we produce all this. If nobody buys it, like, I'm going to be stuck drinking it for the next two years. So <laughs> I have to, at the very least, like the flavor. And that was my favorite energy drink. So that's kind of why we chose that. So you're an energy drink connoisseur of sorts now? Uh, I truly believe that I have one of the widest palettes for energy drinks. I Every time I see a new one, I try it. Um, very, very aware of, of what, that, what that flavor profile and market looks like. And uh, you said something earlier I wanted to touch on. You're like, but you can't die from it. There is a website called deathbycaffeine.com where it'll tell really? you if you have um, 16 Red Bulls, uh, you might have a heart attack or like whatever the number is. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, they're, um, I, read these, I read these studies that I don't even remember when it was from. It could have been the 80s, 90s, like no idea. The military was testing caffeine intake um, and different ways of taking it, you know, whether it be orally, injection, you know, snorting it. Um, and they were using amounts like 800 milligrams, a thousand oh, milligrams, which is yeah. like, it's like a, a large amount. Significant. But you are right. Yeah. If you, if you know, a Red Bull is like 140 milligrams of caffeine, like you drink 10 of those, you're very quickly at like a lot of caffeine. <laughs> yeah. And so not to say, I, I tell you, yeah, not to say that they're you, terrible, but you know, no, you, you can you overdo your body. Yeah. yeah. You can overdo anything. You can have too much uh, cookies and like have not a good yeah. day. Yeah, like people people ask me about this and, you know, they're like, oh, I can't drink coffee. Like it gives me jitters. Like, can I drink this? I'm like, no, like you, you clearly have identified you have a poor relationship with caffeine. If I were you, I would not try other forms of caffeine because the way your body's processing it is going to be almost the same if, you know, very similar, if not the same. Yeah. Some people are caffeine sensitive. Some people, I think you definitely build up a tolerance. Like that's how people get to, I heard one guy told me, he, he would drink, I think, 600 milligrams of caffeine a day. And I'm like, why? Why do you need that much yeah. caffeine? Like, are you just a, I definitely, addict? I've definitely been pretty close to that, yeah. But if you space it out, if you space it out, right? Like, I just made myself a coffee that's 200 milligrams of caffeine. You know, if I have one in the morning, if I have one at 2 o'clock, and then, like, a little bit more at some other time, like it's, it's pretty easy to get to 600. Yeah. Yeah, if Especially you get away from that, you. If you, if you take pre-workout before the gym, though, that stuff, that shit is just so, it's so unnecessarily loaded with caffeine that you can really get to some high daily intake amounts like very, very quickly. And you're usually using a scoop. So you're like, oh, let me make the scoop a little higher today. Right. Maybe two scoops. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that uh, brings up a good point is my brother is, uh, I think, eight-time Ironman triathlon, triathlon guy, uh, finisher, and probably finishes in the top quarter, top third percentage. So a pretty fast guy, not exactly a full-time professional. He still has a normal job, but he'll, he'll go out in his training runs. He never does pre-workout because he, um, he does heart rate based training. So he says, I'm going to go run 10 miles today, but not get my heart rate over say 140 beats or whatever it is. And yeah. so he's not going a hundred percent. He's going for endurance long, you know, the long game. And, uh, so it makes me laugh sometimes when people say, oh, I have to take my pre-workout before I go work out. Well, they're working out in a totally different way. Maybe they're doing like sprints or, or weightlifting, but it's, it's definitely, they're not concerned about their heart rate because their heart rate is probably skyrocketing with all that yeah. pre-workout, you know? No, a hundred percent. I mean, before, probably from like eight, age, like 17 to 23-ish, like 
lifting and specifically bodybuilding style lifting was like the only thing that really mattered to me. You know, now I'm a lot more cardio focused, but I would take so much caffeine that like I literally probably couldn't have done any other kind of fitness because your heart rate's just through the roof without you actually working that hard. Yeah. Um, it's like uh, I used to go to this fitness class where they have uh, uh, a heart rate monitor on you and it shows at the at the front of the class with everybody else's theory? heart rate. Yeah, Orange Theory. And yeah. uh, I thought it was great, but it's like you could have a super high heart rate and not be working that hard just from caffeine or like <laughs> right, just yeah, be, yeah. being out of shape. I'm like, this is kind of like not fair. Like the, the most fit people have the lowest heart rate and will get the least amount of points. I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> it's definitely a backwards approach because it's it's not really about, like you're saying, it's not about the, the value that you see. It's about it's difference from your resting or like your normal heart rate, right? Yeah. To identify how hard you're working. Right. So it's, it's a little backwards, but I get what they're trying to do. And I, I, I like the concept. It's just, you could definitely game the system in the wrong ways. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, I mean, also like if you were, I'm not really a fitness class kind of guy. I actually just canceled my CrossFit membership like two weeks ago. I tried it for three months just cause it was like the only style of fitness I haven't tried. Um, but I, I have never really understood the being motivated by like what you see on a screen. Yeah. It just doesn't really make sense to me personally, but you know, if it gets you in the gym, who cares? Yeah. I mean, I was doing it. I don't have the orange theory anymore, but I was doing it for a few months there and I kind of like the, the, the pull of, Hey, there's a class of people waiting for me. You know, I might not be friends with all of them, but like, right. I can't miss this time I schedule cause I'll lose my credit is one, yeah. one, one of the things. No, I mean that. Yeah. I definitely understand like that sense of accountability that, other people who you may or may not even talk to when you're there provide you that yeah. I definitely can understand. Yeah. It's like a, um, a group suffering session. Like yeah. <laughs> you gotta go at your own pace, but, uh, there's other people that'll give you some, some motivation or it's like, Jeff is still pushing on the treadmill. I, I can't walk this section. You know, I gotta keep yeah, going. Yeah, yeah. Or this, this yeah. young girl, petite girl is next to me is killing me on the rower. I'm like, I gotta step it up over here. <laughs> no, hundred percent. I definitely, I definitely feel that, especially like, like with, I feel that with running a lot because running it's for me, I'm not a naturally good runner. So because of that, I have to run so much. I just did um, a half marathon on Friday. Oh, like nice. Not, not like an organized event. Like I just went out and did it myself. Yeah. Um, but it's very easy to like find the excuses in your head of like, Oh, I'm just not feeling well, or it's cold. Like, let me slow down. Let me not really push myself too hard. But when you're running with somebody else, you quite literally, like, it's not even a mental thing of, Oh, I see them working hard. It's I need to physically keep up with them. Otherwise we're, you know, we're going to distance ourselves and not be together anymore. So yeah. I definitely understand that. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's motivating. And uh, I've always ran faster and biked faster going with even one other person because it's like that visual thing. You don't want to lose them or, uh, yeah. or drop them or you get dropped. Yeah. I think it also keeps your mind busy, which is for me, the most challenging thing when running, you know, not just focusing on how much it sucks the entire time. So uh, t tell me a little bit about your fitness program. What are you doing these days? So kind of, like I said, running is my focus because I'm bad at it. Yeah. Right? Um, I put like between 30 and 35 miles a week 
Okay. Um, I've got kind of like five set runs I do. I do a long run that's relaxed. You know, usually like low eight pace. Uh, that'll be like between seven and 12 miles, depending on how I feel. The next day will be a very casual 10 mile. I'm sorry, a very casual six mile. You know, that's like, I want to be able to talk to somebody, like have just a true, true casual run. Mm-hmm. Then my next one I'll do again, six miles, but I'll do slow mile, fast mile, slow mile, fast mile, slow mile, fast mile. Um, then I do a weighted run, a 30 pound vest and between four and six miles. And the way I like track that one is I tell myself if I, if I run under nine minute miles with the vest, I'll stop at four. But if I go slower than that, I have to do six. Okay. A little incentive. Yeah, exactly. Right. So sometimes, sometimes, you know, I'm really pushing it where like, I'll be at like nine to one and I have like three quarters of a mile left and I'm like, all right, let's, let's just sprint and get this under there so I can just stop. Um, and then my last is a ruck and that'll be anywhere between six and 12 miles, you know, put 40 pounds on my back, put my, put my army boots on and just start, just start walking. It's one thing to, uh, to do a half marathon with nothing on your back is another to put 30, 40 pounds on and do the same thing. It's, it's a way different workout. It's, it's, I, I try to tell people all the time. It's, I view very little correlation between your natural running ability and your natural rucking ability, right? Like once you're really good at rucking, running more is going to help you. But that initial performance there, it's just a totally different set of muscles. It's much less cardio determined. It's much more posterior chain, you know, like how strong your lower back is, how strong your hamstrings are, your calves, um, you know, not to mention you're not in running shoes, right? Like you're right. in boots, <laughs> right? So you, your feet take a totally different impact. Um, your shoulders are bearing a lot of the weight. Um, a lot of that comes from experience with knowing how you want the ruck to sit. Yeah. Uh, I will admit that I probably don't wear my ruck correctly. People like hmm. to wear it as high as possible on the frame. Um, I've never adjusted mine. Not one time. The, the way I put it on the very first time I got it, I was just like, this works. I'm yeah. performing well. Like I just don't want to change it. Uh, but because of that, you know, like I'm like hunched over a lot when I'm <laughs> rucking. So my lower back will be on fire by the end. I hear that. My, for me, it's like my hips. My hips aren't used to bearing so much weight uh, for that long a distance. Yeah, yeah. That's um, you hear that a lot with 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 women in the military that they really really try to let the the rucksack hit uh, sit on their hips rather than on their shoulders. Hmm. Sure, there's a lot of different uh, trains of thought or methods to to the madness with that, but uh, it's one of those things that I say this. This has always been my approach. Uh, do you know who Rich Piana is? I feel like I know the name. He was like, a, he actually, he died like maybe four or five years ago now. I can't believe it's been that long, but he was like massive in the early YouTube fitness community. Just an enormous guy, like huge steroid user, but like one of the first guys to be open about it and actually talk about it. Yeah. Um, and he, he would always say that he, he, he had massive arms, just enormous arms. And he would say that if you are suffering or like, if you have a weak body part, don't look at the guy who's naturally good at that body part mm-hmm. to determine how you should train go look at the guy who sucks and who's working his ass off to build that body part and you should replicate that style training okay right? so it's, it's kind of like with rucking like if you're really good at rucking i wouldn't 
or if you're bad, I wouldn't go talk to people who are naturally really good, right? I would talk to people who have su- who have suffered through that progress, yeah, and you know, built skills and built that 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 different style of fitness than what they're naturally good at. That's kind of like how I view my relationship with with running. You know, it it took me a long time to be able to just run three miles. You know, so the fact that I could just do an impromptu half marathon on like a random Friday um, is like in my head a real accomplishment for me. Oh, for sure. And did you hear about that? Was it a Chinese man who ran like a three and a half oh, yeah. marathon smoking yeah. cigarettes every every minute of the run? I mean, that's if, if that screams U.S. military more than anything <laughs> I have ever seen in my entire life. That that's amazing. One of the greatest things ever. I don't I don't know if right now that I could do a three and a half hour marathon without smoking. It's uh, yeah, I, I don't know who he is or I, I, I read that he's done this before. So I don't know if like he's just smoked his entire life. Or if this is like a bit, if he's just like, nah, for you guys for thinking marathons are hard, like I'm going to do it while smoking. But uh, it's a, it's real impressive, that's for sure. Heck yeah. And it's like, uh, it's kind of interesting, I think. Um, you know, this thing that once killed someone from running 26.2 miles and one sitting, we're like, yeah, let's try to do that and not die. Yeah. Well, so many <laughs> people forget about that part of the story, right? Is that he, he dies in the end, right? It's not yeah. like a, not a, it's not a happy it's ending. It's not a happy ending. Yeah. It no. sucks. <laughs> But also, he probably wasn't training to do marathons all the time. And he's just like a regular dude. If a regular guy goes out there with zero running experience, you might have some issues. But uh, if you train for it, it's it's a doable thing now that we know how to how to work up to it. I would love to see somebody try to run a marathon without any training. It's like a David Goggins story, right? Yeah, I mean, he's just he's um, he's another level, but. Yeah, like I would love to see a normal person who's not like a mental <laughs> master like yeah. David Goggins is, see them attempt it and see them go through the trials of, of, of the suffering and everything. And I love David Goggins. I'm not trying to shit on him at all, but he, he did it the stupid way. Like, like, oh, yeah, <clears throat> you don't go out with zero training and do 100 miles. That's just not how you ramp up your training level. I, I think, you know, the, the, the military, um, like social media communities is, I think has like mixed views of Dave, David Goggins, right? Like he's clearly very accomplished military and non-military physically and mentally one of the strongest people to ever, you know, ever exist, like quite literally. Um, but that approach, and I think anyone would tell you this, that approach works for maybe one person and his name yeah. is David Goggins. Right? Like it doesn't <laughs> work for other people. Right. Yeah. It's uh, not the I- ideal way to do it. It's uh for me, if I were to go out and do a hundred miles, I would be sore the next day. I would not feel good. I would probably not want to be running for the next couple of weeks. Right. After reco- having to recover from that. Yeah. I mean, like I, I physically don't know if I could do that. Right. Like David Goggins has that switch where he just turns his brain off. Um, I don't, I think there's a lot you can take from that to apply to your own life, but it, I don't think I could do that Yeah, the way he can. It's nuts. Um, I'm just trying to get my camera to focus. I got a new camera yeah, going yeah, on over here. Good. It's, all good. <laughs> it's a little blurry right now. There we go. It fades in and out of uh, focus. But uh, yeah, man. So I've been doing this podcasting for uh, like two and a half years now and uh, finally upgraded to a decent microphone, decent camera. <laughs> I feel like I can get the, uh, the focus to stay on point. But it's just uh, I love talking to people, getting their stories and, you know, uh, hopefully, hopefully giving them a few more eyeballs and a few more sales. So uh, thanks for coming on and talking to me. We still got some time and just uh, recapping. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I, 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 
I'm a huge consumer of podcasts, um, especially visual podcasts, which I, I think sometimes people laugh at me. But a lot of the podcasts I listen to are from comedians who comment on videos. So yeah. like it truly improves the experience if you're watching the video with them. Oh, yeah. I'm a huge uh, lip reader, mouth reader, like body language analyzer. Yeah. And uh, it's tough during the pandemic because everybody's got their mouth covered up. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. I can't, I can't hear you because I can't see your, your lips moving. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I still to this day, like, if I go somewhere and they ask me to put a mask on, like, I don't, I will do whatever somebody asks me just to avoid the conflict of it. But it, it 100% did affect people's ability to communicate. Oh, yeah. And then uh, there's, they're talking about kids are developing at different rates now or not the same rate based on, you know, not having that social interaction being stuck inside. And that's all they know now. Um, I think it's going to have bigger I, yeah. consequences than we thought. I think I for sure was like the perfect age to be during some 26, right? Like 24, right before everything happened. I think I was the perfect age where like, I don't have kids to worry about. Yeah. I also was was never worried about, oh, if I get sick, will will there be any health repercussions? So I kind of made it out of the whole COVID thing, like pretty unscathed, but I for sure hear what you're saying. Like there are a lot of repercussions that I don't think we really know about just yet. Yeah. I mean, how can you shut down all these businesses? I mean, so for like fast food or or food companies in general, a lot of them shut down. A lot of restaurants, um, you know, had to close their doors. But I think at some point, what if it was just kind of oversaturated? What if we had too many restaurants and that was just kind of a recorrecting of what we really need? Yeah, it's it's a good point. I I don't think I'm smart enough to like know the answers. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I definitely hear you. Like, it's, it's, there are like natural booms and busts with everything. So, you know, maybe this is just one of the causes of, of one of the busts. Yeah. I don't know. For me, I'm definitely trying to eat at home and, uh, you know, save money and not spend as much money eating out because you could, uh, you could buy a week's worth of food for 20 bucks or, or something like that. And you go out for one meal with dinner and drinks with a friend, it could be 30 bucks for one person. Yeah. I am intimately aware of that living in New York. Oh, and yeah. I would say I would love to only spend $30 when I go right. out for dinners and drinks. Uh, yeah. yeah, very, very aware of that. And uh, it's <laughs> right now, again, like, you know, 26, not married, no kids, don't have a mortgage, right? Like I can kind of uh, not only afford like with, but just like, I, I don't need to save the amount of money that like I would if I had real responsibilities, Sure, but I could see myself in 10 years having to really reevaluate the way I spend money on food for sure. Especially starting a business. Like uh, it's tough. You need every, every penny counts and uh, you just got to save for that rainy day. You only fail when you run out of money. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily there are a lot of people, at least I think who have money and want to invest. I just haven't like, like we talked about, I haven't tapped into that just yet. Yeah. I'm sure, you know, you, you mentioned you, your first batch or so was like 100,000 units. Like that's, that's not cheap. I, I can't imagine uh, what that costs. No, not at all. And, you know, a lot of, you know, there's, of course, there's one-time startup costs, right? Like, you know, I talked about the company in Chicago that we used to develop the formula. Like I'll never have to pay them again, right? Because we have a formula. Mm-hmm. Um, there were not necessarily mistakes along the way, but there were, inefficient decisions that I made, uh, that led to spending more money. Um, 
do I regret it? Like, not really. I learned a lot. Would I have loved to be done sooner and have saved some money? Of course. But like, let's say this is a huge success in 10 years or it's a huge failure. And I like I'm either way, I'll never think about those mistakes ever again. Yeah, so you got to try and see where it goes. A hundred percent. I think I think I spent a lot of my college years like thinking I was the kind of person that was willing to take risks, um, but never actually taking risks. And then only since signing up for the for the national guard and then trying all this doing things like you know just even an example like the, the half marathon on friday like i think i still because of those experiences now live the life of somebody who's willing to take a risk and just kind of see what happens yeah and it's uh you know risks are easy but the calculator risks are more more uh harder to find right a hundred percent i mean this is for sure not my first idea that i have slightly yeah i had a lot of ideas before this that i like slightly entertained and this was the first one where i was like all right like the money kind of makes sense I, I i believe in the product i believe in the market like let's actually pursue this one sure do you have any numbers you would like to share about maybe uh how many units you've sold uh not much um i'm trying to think like we we give out a lot to our friends just to try yeah, you know, like promotional. Gone, right, exactly. We've probably gone through like three to four thousand units. Um, which in terms of sales, like I'm happy with, right? Like every sale still feels really good. Yeah. Um we are definitely we're struggling to find the best way to sell to people, right? Like whenever I talk about this business, I don't like to sugarcoat it, right? Like there's the reality is that it's challenging and that it hasn't been easy, but for all the reasons I've mentioned, right, not having outside money in that, we can we can afford to go through those challenges slowly and to figure it out rather than like force it to work. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it gives you a little bit more leeway, a little bit more, more flexibility with a business model. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, just to give you an example, like one of the things that we tried was uh, was going to MetLife Stadium for Jets and Giants tailgates yeah. and walking around with this this big sign that's behind me and and just selling units. And, you know, we, we like literally walked around for maybe 35 minutes one day and sold a, just about a hundred units. Wow. Um, but then we got kicked out, right? Cause you're not allowed yeah. to do that. You know? I was wondering so, about that. Yeah. Yeah. You're definitely not allowed to. Uh, <laughs> and they were nice about it. Like they were just like, Hey, you can't be doing this. If you don't stop, we're going to go to the police. And we're like, okay, like I'm not trying to, not, not trying to cause any problems. Yeah. Maybe you could go to like, uh, well, if you're already in the stadium on their grounds, it's hard. You have to get permission from them. From the stadium and then they want to cut or they want some sort of percentage if they'll allow that but what about like the the other parking zones or parking lots that everybody stops in beforehand maybe that's or a street corner i don't know yeah 100 percent. i mean there's definitely there's a lot of things that are like legal you know like you're on that border i it's it's just it's always a tough decision to like do you do i do i personally want to pursue those yeah and i never want any kind of conflict with business owners or like law enforcement, it's just not really worth it. So sometimes we make those, like you said, calculated risks just to see what happens. And most of the time we are not doing that though. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. And so is there any restriction on what people in the forces can carry with them? Is it like uh, you can't have, um, I'm sure you can have energy drinks, but it's, it's a risk if it explodes. So is it, um, 
are there any restrictions of what they can carry with them on, on rucks or, or uh, operations? Uh, the short answer is yes. The long answer is it depends. It depends on two things, right? Number one, the environment you're operating in, right? If you're in a, if, if you're in a school, like what we call schoolhouse, right? This is where you're, you're training to essentially have some kind of qualification. If you're in one of those, it's a lot more restricted. Um, you likely, you know, there are some that don't even allow any consumption of caffeine, right? Um, does that mean people follow it? Maybe not. Does it mean they will be punished if they're caught in uniform consuming caffeine? Like probably. Um, so in that sense, there's a lot of restriction. And then in other, like just general training environments, it typically depends on your command decisions, right? So I don't necessarily know how high up this would go, but if a company commander, you know, who's in charge of like, you know, 120 people said, Hey guys, nobody's allowed to bring caffeine on this, on this, you know, four day field operation. That would be like a legitimate restriction that if somebody was caught, they could be again, punished. Like, I don't know what that punishment would look like, but it would be like a very real uh, restriction. Okay. That makes sense. Every, every operation is probably a little bit different or every single um, branch of the military or the armed forces would be different. Yeah. But I, I, I'm a big believer, and I think there are a lot of commanders now who are also agreeing with this, is that to an extent, every Marine, soldier, whatever, knows their body and knows what they need to succeed. And if one of those things you need to succeed is caffeine, like you should be allowed to consume it, Yeah. right? It's kind of just like nicotine, right? Nicotine is rampant in the military. Is it benefiting anybody objectively? Like, is anybody better using nicotine than not? Probably not. But if your baseline is using it and you remove it, you might perform at a lower level, right? Yeah, so in that you, sense, maybe it's a good idea to bring it. You don't want to be detoxing right before I go on the battlefield. Right, exactly, exactly, right? So that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, my personal opinion, and I think a lot of people also share this, is that you know your body and you should do whatever you need. Yeah, and... um you know, I always hear about different things the military is doing with, with regards to supplements and like different drugs and like Adderall and like caffeine and all these different stimulants that could keep you awake for, for days and days, but still being at the top of your game. Um, unfortunately, those things aren't really available uh, over the counter for most humans, but um, maybe one day they'll make their way into energy drinks too. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that we have so many very interesting drugs that have been developed and I think it would be very cool to experiment with like a practical application of those drugs. You know, maybe you change the dose, maybe you change the method of consumption, but you know, who am I to say what they do? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not important enough yet to like, you know, make decisions like that. But uh, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It would be very cool just to see what could happen. Right. I mean, some of them, uh, like like Adderall here is is literally methamphetamine salts, so it's like yeah. it's it's high level stuff. Uh, you don't want to be messing around with taking six hundred milligrams equivalent of that kind of stuff. A hundred percent, yeah. I th I, th I think I don't know my my relationship with like my opinion of big pharma is very weird. I don't really think big pharma is all that great, um, and I think it's prevented a lot of interesting experimentation. Kind of like I, I shouldn't even say big pharma. Like also the FDA 
you know, I think there's a lot of really interesting practical applications of things like steroids, right? Steroids are a huge classification of drugs. Many of them do very different things, but because they're treated as like a type one felony or whatever the classification is, there is no route for consumers to experiment with it. But yeah. And I think, uh, unless you're competing for some sort of championship or, or like competitive endeavor where if you took it and the next guy didn't, they would be at an advantage. I'm fine with people doing steroids within doctor recommendation on their own for like, whether it's their own physical performance or visual or whatever, like do whatever you want with your body. Just don't be stupid with it and don't kill yourself from taking too much of it. Right. And, and you know, the thing that I, I love to compare things to is alcohol, right? Like alcohol is, is kind of like a poison to your body in, in no way does it improve your body's performance. Oh, but it's, it's just definitely a poison. Our, right. It's, it's just a part of our culture where it's accepted and it's okay. Right. So if you, if you translate that logic to, to something like steroids or, or any other kind of drug, if it was just part of our cult, our culture already, I think we would say it's fine. You, know, you brought up an interesting point about like competition. I would love to see a full steroid Olympics just to see <laughs> what the human body is capable of. Yeah. Right? Because if you think about like advancement in training, I personally think you already cannot compare records over time, right? Like, it's very, very difficult to compare Aaron Judge's 62 home runs this year with Babe Ruth's 60 home runs in like 1920, whatever it was, mm-hmm. right? Like the caliber of talent is just so different that I don't think that the involvement of drugs would like destroy the sanctity of those records. I think the sanctity of those records is already destroyed just from the passage of time and the changing of training and the changing of talent. So in my opinion, I would just love to see what the human body is capable of. Yeah, it's like uh, different eras have different different uh, ceilings that they can hit. And uh, yeah, exactly. I've always thought about the idea of in the Olympics. I like your idea too. We should do that. But also take somebody a random from the from the crowd who is not an athlete and put them in put one person in each event yeah. with all the superhuman athletes and like really see the difference of like uh, Usain Bolt versus a random guy down the street with a big gut, you know. Oh, I would, that would be one of the most entertaining things. Um, <laughs> Look, he's getting lapped for, again, you know? Like, yeah, especially for those long events, like where, where you just want to even see if the regular guy could even finish it. Yeah. I think that'd be a really good baseline because they, they're all amazing and fast and there might be only a couple of seconds, um, maybe a lap or whatever distance um, away from each other. And it's just, you don't realize what the real level is until you put some normal person in there. I'm sure you you see that, that you guys see this in the racing world and all that, you know, whatever that formula one documentary was or show that everyone, I, I never watched, yeah. but like drive, a lot of people watched it. Drive to survive Netflix. So, you know, that grabbed a lot of new fans that I think probably, and myself included would say that, Oh, these guys are just, just making left turns. Right. Obviously <laughs> formula one's not that, but like NASCAR, I think a lot of people probably have a hard time understanding the level of difficulty because they've never done anything like it. Oh, or yeah. actually, you know, I mean, maybe I said that totally wrong. Maybe they think it's not difficult because they have done something so similar to it, but their performance level is so different that maybe they just can't comprehend it. Yeah. I mean, a 12 year old can drive a car just fine as long as they're mature enough. But when you get to the racetrack, uh, whether it's cars or motorcycles or formula one style cars, uh, open wheel, it's, uh, such a different animal. There's a lot of counterintuitive things and it's, it's extremely physical. Uh, people say 
I'm, I'm coming from mostly motorcycle racing. I have some car experience, but um, they're like, oh, you're just sitting down, right? You're just like sitting down on the motorcycle. Like, not really. No, you're only sitting yeah, down yeah, on, yeah. for 10 seconds on the straightaway um, when you're relaxing. Everything else is you're trying to muscle a 400 pound machine around a racetrack at the limits of physics. And uh, there's massive consequences if you get it wrong. Yeah, that's I've, I've never even ridden motorcycle. Like, I can't even relate to that. How long is a race? Is it like like minutes, hours? So they have different different lengths. A sprint race is typically eight eight to ten laps, um, which might be a minute and a half, depending on the the track length and um, the speed for that track. Uh, could be you know 10, 15 minutes for for a sprint race, but they do feature races that could be 20, 30 laps. Or they do endurance races, two, four, six, eight, twelve-hour, twenty-four-hour races. Like um, those are kind of rare. The you know twenty-four hours are once or twice yeah. a year type of thing. But um, yeah, it's exhausting. And then a lot of people won't do just one race uh, uh, a weekend or a day. I would do six races on if it's a double header, six races Saturday, six races Sunday, and uh, I'm like laying on the ground exhausted because you're. You're in a full leather suit. You're in a, uh, right. from, from head to toe armored up. Only thing that you can see is maybe you're just your neck. Um, and so it's, it's a hundred degrees out. You're sweating before you even throw your leg over the motorcycle. And then you got to do all this physical action on the bike and everything. And it sounds like I'm complaining, but I, I love it. No, it's no. just a, a difficult thing to do. What is the, what's the, what's the hydration like for that? So like you, you hydrating before, can you drink during? Some people, um, you have the back hump, um, kind of for aerodynamics. Some people have uh, hydration in there. I think that's pretty rare. Um, that's more like for the top professionals to have that. But, um, I, they say if you're not peeing every hour, you're not drinking enough. So it's right. always constant hydration, Gatorades and propels and, you know, other IV, um, what do you call it? Just electrolyte mixes. And, yeah. uh, I would do some caffeine in the morning, but um, it's really hard. Like, imagine you're working out at your peak potential. I can't have a cheeseburger. Like I can't eat a whole lot when I'm, when I'm doing it. So it's like uh, a protein bar here, a snack bar there, maybe half of it, yeah. you know, and then yeah. I go out, I go out for my practice session and then have some strawberries or something like very low, very light foods. Um, but yeah, just trying to, yeah, I mean, what, uh, you're, what you're describing is really more of an endurance event. Like you might only be on the track for like eight, 10 minutes, whatever you said. But if there's practice rounds and there's like other pre other preparation and you're in this suit for hours and you're at the track for hours, like it's much more endurance than just like, you know, let me drink some water, caffeine, get the heart rate up and go. Yep. And then a lot of the times, like most, most racers at our level are not coming with a full pit crew. So that means you're driving to the event the night before. I usually camp at the track and then you're doing your tires, you're taking your tires off, getting them changed maybe by a tire guy, but putting them back on your motorcycle all yourself. You're doing all the suspension changes yourself between sessions, you know, putting yeah. the gas in the bike, checking your tire pressures every, every session. And, uh, and then maybe like I, I'm doing a lot of coaching now. So uh, a lot of my time is gone and helping other people and not even in my own pit area, you know, sitting down, drinking water. I'm like, over three canopies over like telling this person like hey you yeah, gotta yeah. move your butt off the seat more before i even get back to my own area so it's uh it's it's different damn yeah that's a, it's a whole world i just don't know anything about but it's like <laughs> it's really interesting stuff it's it's uh it, it sounds like it's a 
it's a hard entry level hobby. Yeah, right? like, it's how uh, do you get into it. So I got uh, I got into it because I got uh, in trouble for speeding uh, on the okay. street. So uh, they got me at 77 over in a 70 uh, about 12 years ago, and I went straight to jail. Um, and was like, oh, I can't do that anymore. miles an hour over. Over, so you yeah. Going 77. Okay. No, it was 147 yeah, or something. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, that was a bad day. It changed my life, man. Um, I was facing like 90 days in jail. I didn't serve, you know, all that. I just post bail immediately and like went to court yeah. pretty much. But um, I mean, if that wouldn't have happened, I probably would have been dead from being a hooligan on the street, you know, by, by now. Because really, yeah. It's, it's just, it's not smart. So the next year I did a full season of track days. It's what it's called. So like practice time, it's not a race. You just go there with your motorcycle and they have uh, different groups. Every 20 minutes, a different group goes out, novice, intermediate, advanced based on your skill level. And there's coaches there. Um, I'm one of them now, but uh, back then, you know, just learning and trying to figure out how this whole thing works and, you know, how far you can push it. And um, the different going to different tracks around the country and then by the end of that that season that first season of track days i was already advanced and passing people who are racing so i'm like well why don't i just try racing i'm already passing this guy right yeah. and uh i did and i got some trophies as you can see uh, i did really really well i got my pro license i think seven years ago now and uh but yeah it's so hard the barrier of entry is is ridiculous because you can start out with just a regular street bike <clears throat> that you did nothing to, um, you just tape up your mirrors, anything glass, take your turn, take your turn signals off, uh, take your plate off and you're ready to go. But when you start getting up higher in the, in the rankings, now you need a new bike, you know, need, you need some higher parts. Maybe you need an engine refresh. And that's, it's not like buying a soccer ball. It's like right. uh, <laughs> thousands yeah, yeah. of dollars. And, and then you're going through, when you get faster, you go through tires really quick. So by the end of, what I was doing, it's like at least three tires of race weekend, every, every two, three days, you need three tires. So right. that adds up pretty quick. And if you're doing professional stuff, you could use four or five sets of tires a weekend. So you're spending thousands of dollars in tires before you even pay for the travel. And like I said, I camp at the track, saving on hotels and, right, yeah. you know, just do it as cheap as possible. Um, with maybe one person, one other crew it, or just me. So it's not glamorous, but, uh, it can be done. And, uh, yeah, very expensive sport. Um, but then you get into sponsorships and like getting it paid that way. Um, like I just found out the PGA pays their, their golfers, like half a million dollars. If you do their series, there's nothing like that, that exists for motorcycle racing. It's all like pay to play. Right. Uh, you, and then, and then if you crash, it starts getting really expensive. Yeah. That it, is there insurance or it's just uh, not really? No, everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, there is some insurance for some things, but I've never had insurance for a race bike. It doesn't really exist. I mean, you can have like, like theft coverage and stuff like that on right. it, but, but not like crash I damage. Mean, yeah. If you're an insurance company and you know, these guys are going to race, like, why would I, why would I even cover that? It's hard, man. It's uh, but it's, it's where my heart lies. Like I grew up playing soccer and hockey, uh, roller hockey and ice hockey for a long time. And I just, I was never going to be a professional soccer or hockey player. It's right. just never yeah. was in the cards for me. So like, this is something that I'm good enough at to, to really go far. And, and now I'm helping coach other people to get there. And at some point the student is going to uh, surpass the master. And it's like, <laughs> I taught that guy, right. you know? Yeah. 
Um, so it's no, just... that's very cool. It, it's a very cool progression. And, and, you know, not to like bring the military back into it, but one of the things we always think about is, is safety, right? Because there's, yeah. there's so, there's so much that can go wrong in such a short period of time. Um, it, it's, it's really cool that you, you kind of took a very dangerous habit of crazy speeding and found like a, a positive and safe way to, 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 to let that out. Yeah. And, uh, I see people still, you know, ripping down the street. I'm like, Oh, just take it to the track, man. You're going to learn real quick one day, either, either you, yeah. uh, crash and run into a curb or a car, or you get, you get in legal trouble and it's just, it's not cheap to do it that way. Um, and you can really ride exactly how you want to on the racetrack with, with no repercussions, you know, legally anyways. Um, and, uh, and you think you're hot shit on the street until you go to the racetrack and realize there's like a whole a hundred people who are all faster than you're like, Oh, wow. Right. I didn't yeah. even know it was possible to go that fast on this motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I'm sure you do feel like hot shit when you're just going by like, you know, people driving normally. Yeah. And then, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And then uh, you just realize there's su- there's a huge world of like learning uh, that you can get better at. And it's and everybody can get better. Some people, never want to race and they just want to go fast in a, in a safe environment. Um, and so they might have a different speed that they're looking to get to. <clears throat> and, uh, the next guy might want to be like Valentino Rossi, like the top guy, you know, nine world champions. So, um, everybody has their own, their own goal of where they want to be. What's like, what's like the age group? Like there's gotta be like a max age where your body just can't really take it. I've seen, um, some pretty old guys out there kicking ass. Um, yeah. and, and also like for, for different classes, like supermoto, um, I was out there with a three-year-old this year and, uh, then, and the That's same wild. track, there was somebody who was maybe in his mid sixties. So, yeah. uh, on the same, the same event. So it's like, yeah, at, at those particular events, it's really nice passing rules. Like don't stuff the guy into the corner. Don't knock him down, but just like, it'll take you another three seconds to get by this guy nicely instead of like yeah. rubbing elbows with them. So yeah. And not like risking yeah. real being, lives. Yeah. Being respectful, you know, it's, it's a, it's a huge level of danger uh, versus like playing soccer. So um, there's a, a, a yeah. big level of respect that has to happen. And a lot of times, you know, if somebody say we're in a race event or even just a track day and someone has a mechanical part that they need, whether it's a handlebar or like whatever that part is, and you have a spare, even if you're racing against them, you're like, you'll lend them the part. Maybe they'll give it back to you at the end of the day or pay for it later. And uh, you'd rather beat them on the racetrack than in the pit lane. Cause they couldn't go out there, you know? Right. So it's so different to like, if you're playing football and the guy needs a new helmet and you got an, you got an extra one. You're like, well, I'm not going to give him that because he could be on the field with me. Well, it's right, it's totally right, different right. in the racing yeah. community because we just want to see each other succeed. And it's not about like stifling someone else or, you know, it's about we just want to compete. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, again, it's it's very military-esque where like you just you're you're a community together. And like sometimes people outside of the community don't really understand it. Um, and you like you said, you're trying to see the community succeed. So I definitely can relate and and definitely respect that. And for sure. And now I'm just trying to help promote people in the, in the community. And uh, it's great to hear their stories. And my life has been changing from, from talking to people. I mean, it's not very often in my daily life that I sit down and talk to somebody for an hour and 10 minutes without touching your phone or like going yeah. out for bathroom yeah. breaks or food, eating food, whatever. So, um, yeah, 
yeah, I've, uh, I've become a coach since doing this for four organizations and I'm planning on moving to Vegas actually in uh, maybe two months. We'll see what happens, but um, I got another, another coaching job for supercars. So it'll be my first time actually making the transition from two wheels to four wheels and I can put it right. on my resume in a big right, way. Right. So I'm excited for yeah, that. Yeah, That's really cool. That's awesome. Heck yeah. So, uh, you're, I wanted to say you're in New York city. So, uh, what's the cost of living out there? Like, like it's pretty brutal. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it really sucks. It's uh, everything's just expensive, right? Like rent, everything, everything you need to just basically live is expensive. And then the only reason you live in New York is to leave your apartment, right? Like <laughs> it's for all the stuff, all the other stuff that you spend your money on. So yeah. not only is it expensive just to have somewhere to go sleep, but like the time you spend in between sleeping is expensive too. Yeah. It sucks. Now is the food also expensive? Like, uh, eating? I like legitimately everything is more expensive. Now it doesn't, uh... it doesn't mean you can't find places that are cheap, but like on average, it's just, it's always going to be more expensive. Cause I'm really considering and probably will be moving to Vegas soon. And I'm, you know, uh, they don't make anything in Vegas other than gambling and, and entertainment shows. Right. So right. everything has to be trucked in from States away and uh, like a carton of eggs. It's like five bucks. I'm like, man, it's like five times as expensive as, as it is here in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't have a good reference for like standard household consumables because I kind of just, and this is like the most New York thing of me. I just <laughs> go online and order it and it gets delivered. And I don't really like look at the prices of, I don't do enough price hunting. Yeah. But uh, I mean, beers under $10 are going to be, I shouldn't say hard to find, but like a normal beer would be like seven or eight bucks, you know? So you can get a cocktail for like maybe the lowest 15, maybe 12. Yeah. Um, if you're going out for food, like you're 20 bucks per person, you know, it just adds up. And, and one of the things I try to explain to people is, like, yes, the dollar's more, it, it's higher, right? You're spending more on these individual items. But like I said, you only live here to go do things, right? Like, mm -hmm. New York is not, like, a beautiful place. Like, you don't go for, like, the outdoorsy stuff, right? You, Look at that one here. park, right? Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're parks, but they're always packed with people, right? So oh, it's, yeah. it's like, it's, you're here to spend money. So while you're, you're spending more money per thing, you're also seeking out more things. So in total, it's just it just compounds and you just spend so much money. It yeah. just sucks, but is I this, still love it. So is there someone where you'd rather be, or is this home for you? Um, every winter I say is going to be my last winter here, which your winters are probably much worse, but I just, I'm kind of, I really dislike the winters in the Northeast. Um, I think probably like my dream is to buy a house, like a, like a farmhouse or like a mountain house somewhere where there's a lot of land and then also have like a small apartment here. Um, in terms of specific locations, like I don't really care. You know, I don't want to be middle of nowhere, like yeah. true middle of nowhere. Like Montana or something. Yeah. Like I don't even know. Sometimes I go to like, I'm trying to think of like a good example, but sometimes I'll go places where they think it's like a real big city. And I'm just like, this is another planet for me. <laughs> yeah right so i'm definitely a little jaded in that new york is the standard and it's it, nothing ever is going is to compare but i also wouldn't trade it so how many millions of people are in new york now after a post-pandemic 
I think it's still right around like eight million. Oh wow! But like you know, it 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 shifts like I, I forgot what the exact number is, but it shifts like eight hundred to a million, something like that, every single day for people commuting into work. Yeah, and that people leave it. It's amazing. So, a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people in not a lot of space. Right. Everybody's like packed in like sardines. Absolutely. It does, and that doesn't mean there aren't like little hidden gems that haven't been destroyed yet by the amount of people, but it's just, it's just so many people. <laughs> and uh, that, that brings me to my next question. Um, where is your product made? Is it made in the U.S.? Is it uh, overseas? Um, yeah. So all of our, you know, right, because we're, we're trying to sell to the military, right? We, we really want to like align with their values. And one of the things that we definitely think they care about is, you know, made in America and, and domestic production. So all of our ingredients are sourced from American companies. Um, the actual co-packer who did all the blending and packaging is in Texas. Um, and then we sell from New York, right? So we, it's like hundred percent within the United States. Um, the company that produced the like the film I think is also Texas, but I'm not sure if they're Texas. But either way, everything is United States made, um, so we're, we're definitely proud of that, and it's uh, it's a nice little like added branding. Yeah, I think I feel like Texas is one of the most American states there is. Yeah, I mean it's uh, <laughs> I, I, I've, never, I've only been in the airport there, kind of like you with New York, but uh, yeah, definitely it's uh there's a lot of alignment between their values, I think, and the military in general. So, yeah, I think I went to LaGuardia. Yeah, that's, uh, that's Queens. It's, uh, it's gotten a lot nicer, kind of, like I said, but it's, it's also just an airport. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. All the food in airports is a uh, crazy price. It seems like you're at an amusement park or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's I, I was just, I went to Thailand maybe like four or five months ago and i think we flew out of there it may have been jfk but like you know we spent like 150 dollars in the airport before we even <laughs> left the country so it's nuts yeah yeah so uh that's about an hour 15 is there anything else in your mind you wanted to talk about today we haven't covered no man i think um I, I really appreciate your time i think you know we talked a lot about the product kind of how it came to production the ideas behind it um i really appreciate you and, and what you're doing all right. Yeah. appreciate it. Uh, you coming on and, uh, humoring me with, uh, all my questions. So, um, I'll get this edited and posted in the next little while here. Won't be too long and I'll be sure to tag you in it and, uh, share it as much as possible. Cool. Yeah, man. I'll, I'll, I'll do everything I can on my end. And, uh, like I said, I really appreciate it. So thanks again. You're welcome. And, uh, well have a good one and I'll maybe see you at the racetrack. Yeah. Yeah. I'll see you around. <laughs> thanks. All right, bye.